is a hurricane, not a tornado. And it was Danielle Smith and not Danielle Steele, the author. Okay. Is, is that all? Okay. What's that? You missed one, Nita. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm, I know you're thinking, what a botched job this guy did this morning. We can't wait to hear his lesson, you know. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's nothing, I, and it has to happen, okay, but, you know, 13 things that come into you right at the, it was in the, five or ten minutes between that and you take a note and so forth and so on and you get you get uh, you get crossways Uh, you know that's I'm sorry you know if I messed up your announcement but that's you know that that's what happens sometimes when you get on your feet and you make a mistake Um, I'm kind of emotional this morning anyway this has been an emotional weekend for me you know, I'm, I'm kind of a newbie to, to Facebook, and man, everybody's coming up with all of these sayings on Facebook that they're finding about, you know, mothers and so forth and so on. And, you know, I, went, I started to go to bed at 11 o'clock last night, and finally I had to put Facebook down at 11.45 or so and just say, I can't handle any more of this, okay? I know you miss your mother. I miss my mother, too. Man, I didn't... You know, I, it's, it's regretful to say, but, you know, I thought I was spending time with my mother and, and taking care of her the way I should, but now that she's gone and I, and I miss her and I can't talk to her and I can't, I realize the number of times that I, I sought her counsel and, and so many little different things that I didn't even think about. You know, you just pick up the phone and, and you call your mother. When you can't do that anymore, it's, it's tough. Um. Nine years ago on Mother's Day, Darlene Crass passed away. That's Nita's only sibling, her only sister. So we worshipped here and then got the call that she had been taken to the hospital real quickly. And we, we sat there on Mother's Day in the LaGrange Hospital and listened to them call Code Blue, Code Blue, Code Blue. Finally, no more Code Blues. Okay, we can't, we can't go through this anymore and so to sit there and go through that 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 is anguish you know when, when you know who it is and it's your sister and you go through that and it's on mother's day you know and, and while it's not the numeric day it was may the 9th i think it's still mother's day and then my we celebrated last night with my brother and sister-in-law their 51st wedding anniversary, which was on May the 4th, and ours is on May 18th, which will be 45. We always kind of split it in the middle because we never can get it on the, on the right days. And then Carolyn, my, my sister-in-law's mother, she got the word that her mom had passed away on May the 4th, their anniversary, three or four or five years ago, I forget which. So then I'm, I'm reconnecting with my best friend in high school 50 years ago. We haven't seen each other in 50 years. I connected with him in March. And he comes in for Mother's Day back to Louisville. He lives in Missouri. And so we spent two hours yesterday at the Hilton Garden Inn over by Sam's Club reconnecting. So this is an emotional 
day for me. This is a guy that I have, it was my best friend, and, and we haven't talked in 50 years, and we picked up yesterday at 2 o'clock with our stupid foolishness that we always did, and it was like we had never, ever been apart. We don't look this, quite the same, but... Uh, so we, all you mothers who have carnations on today and all that you get to spend the day and time and afternoon with your mother, I'm envious of you this, this morning, and I hope you have a good day and enjoy it. But know that it's a, it's a sad day sometimes for, for others. And I found out there was no way I could preach on mothers today. Many, many years ago, I preached a sermon on Mother's Day with my mother in the audience, and the title of the lesson was, My Mother, the Child Abuser. <laughs> she got a big kick out of it because it was, I mean, it was, it was true, but it, she was far from being a, a child abuser. She would be called a child abuser today because she made me get my own switch and, and paddle me with it for being disobedient to, you know, to something that, that she had told me to do, you know. And we've all got those kind of stories if, if we're of the age that I am. But I hope you get to spend a good day Mother's Day. We've been talking now for, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks about developing a closer relationship with God. God with us, and we've walked Many, many different pathways to get there, looking at different subject matters and, and different things. And if you look around this audience today, and, and please take a time to do that. You know, I, I'm not talking about counting noses or who's here or who's not. But when you look at it from my vantage point and look out from here to you, what I see is diversity and, and difference. I don't know, anybody has have the same shirt on? We have a few that have the same hair cut. Some men who have the, you know, you notice I'm letting mine grow back out, you know, just to make sure that it's still there, you know. I haven't seen it in so long. I wanted to, wanted to see. We're diverse and we're different. We're different, we're different people. We had uh, four kids. We had a set of twins in 78. We participated in this thing called the Louisville Twin Study. We didn't know anything about it, but they solicited us right after the kids were born. And every so often, we would have to take them downtown to the University of Louisville, and then we would, we would measure them, they would measure them, weigh them, test them, do all kinds of these things. And because we had two years, just uh, two kids just barely older than the twins, they put the other two kids into the study, and it was all a study about what goes into the development of a child? You know, is it heredity? Is it your DNA? Is it your makeup? Or is it the environment that you experience? And so the only people that really get to experience things together in the same way are, are twins, born at the same time, and they go through the circumstances. So we learned a lot from that uh, study, going through that. Uh, didn't make us any smarter, didn't help us any more in developing our kids and raising them. It just showed us what the differences were. Well, I worked with two brothers at General Electric named the Leach Brothers. Now, that's kind of funny in and of itself, you know, have a last name of Leach, but, you know, they, they got up with it. And they had the identical numbers in their, in their stature and their weight. They were not twins. 
They were brothers. So the numbers used to make up their height and their weight were all the same numbers. John, the older brother, was five foot six. Harold, the younger brother, was six foot five. John weighed 162 pounds, and Harold weighed 261 pounds. Nobody would have ever believed that they were brothers. I mean, you're talking about Mutt and Jeff, you know. And we played on the same golf team at GE in the golf league. Harold and John were on my team, so I wasn't always playing. I never got to play with both of them because we only played as twosomes. But, you know, the continuing joke was John got underfed when he was younger. You know, he was a big family or whatever and got the last end of the table or all those jokes that go back around when people look and say, hey, they're they're brothers. Because they don't look alike, you know. Typically, siblings look like each other or take on... Uh, at least respective features of the, the parents. You know, it's called your makeup, called your, your DNA, your wiring. If you're anything but a hermit and have been living in isolation, you know all about this, that people are different. They're wired differently. They look differently, and they all can't be treated the same way. Uh, Three quick examples. Uh, the Lakers and LeBron James. Okay, I don't know what's going on there. I don't follow pro basketball all that much. But they've kind of held LeBron James out of participation, I think, because they couldn't make the playoffs. And they've been struggling to find a, a coach. And the team's in turmoil because they're fearful that they're going to get a coach that's going to cater to one of the greatest basketball players that's ever played the game, LeBron James. And so the team is in turmoil. They didn't make the playoffs. I think they just recently hired a coach, and I don't know whether he's the coach that the team wants or he was the coach that LeBron James wanted. But nonetheless, if you've participated in athletics and you've been a coach or coached your kids or whatever, you'll understand that the coach, while he may have the same or may have a a personality, he can't treat everybody the same on on the team. Can you imagine being the coach and calling a timeout and fussing at Michael Jordan because he missed that last shot? You know, I think he would do more to aggravate Michael than he would to help the game along a little bit. I had a teacher in high school, my junior English teacher, and when all of the class of 69 from Fern Creek High School put down who their teacher was, it was not Mr. Omar Carey, okay? It was for me. In fact, I still use him now as security passwords. Who was your favorite teacher? Omar Carey. Now, why is the class of 69 doesn't like Omar Carey and Dan Eisenberg is the only guy that thinks he's the teacher of the world? That's because he saw something in me, the way he treated me. He did something that sparked something in me that I took as a, as a kick in the seat of the pants and turned my attitude around and said, I'm going to be a better student because Mr. Omar Carey says I've got the ability to be a better student. 
And he backed it up with little encouraging notes when I, I went from being, taking a, a 70 on the vocabulary test to making a 95. And that little red line note on the paper stimulated me. Now, I'm sure he was writing little red line notes on all the other students, but guess what it did to them? It didn't stimulate them. It made them angry. How dare Mr. Omar Carey say that to me? Parents and children, why is it that a spanking is what one kid takes? Almost, can I say this, almost a beating. And the other one, all you got to do is talk to them and they break out into tears. And they say to me, I'd rather you beat me, Dad, than lecture me any day. Why is that? Because of their wired differently. They are different people. We've said all of that to say this. God is the one that makes us different. He started the process. He enabled the process. And He allows us to be developed and reproduced so that we will take on the DNA of our parents and we become different people. And you know what? That's what makes the world go round. It does. What if we all wore the same outfit here today and looked exactly alike? One, we couldn't tell who was who, and it wouldn't be very much fun. All right, Doc is sitting over here. I've got Doc listed down in the... How many of you here are willing to raise your hand that, that you are on, and if, and if you don't want to, that's fine, that you are on high blood pressure medication? Oh my goodness, Doc, look at this. You're not getting the job done, man. Whoa. How many of you are on two medications for blood pressure? Okay, a few, so forth and so on. Now, if we polled everybody and asked for what medication you're on, it would, should be the same. Right, Doc? This is yes, this is no, Doc. No? Well, blood high blood pressure is high blood pressure. There's medication for it. But it's all not the same? Oh, huh. Hmm. Well, I guess I better strike this note. Google says there are eight different categories of blood pressure medications, and they all do different things. And so when Doc looks at you and says you, and measures your blood pressure, as he always will, he always, he doesn't ever believe his nurse, okay? Doc comes in and you sit down and you talk, you know, and you, you've relaxed a little bit and Doc will always take your blood pressure. And I always say to myself, well, your nurse just took it, don't you believe her? You know, and you know what he says? No. <laughs> and so he takes the blood pressure and then he prescribes a medication that's for you and for your specific issues and your other issues and your problems associated with that. It's designed for the type of condition that you have. So we're all on different medications. I would venture to say we all made it to church here this morning, but we all came by a different route, route, drive, whatever. 
We come from different angles. We come from different places. I don't, unless you came in two cars and one followed the other and you both went the identical way, no one took the same path to get here to church this morning. How many of you went through Monticello Place to get here? Okay. Three. You came through Monticello. What happened to the rest of you? Monticello Place is the way to go to come to church. Obviously, y'all missed the memo, you know. How many of you came, uh, let's see, Taylorsville Road? There's a few. Okay. We all came from different places, but we all got here at the same spot. Those of us who have high blood pressure, we go to the doctor and we get a medication that helps us with our medical price. It's not the same medication. It's not a one size that fits all. It's not a one route that all gets us to the same place, but we all end up at church. Why is it then? Because God created us with these differences, with this DNA that's different, with these personalities that are different, with these attitudes that are different, why is it that we think there is only one way to develop a personal relationship with God? Did you ever think about that? There are many different pathways to God. From a relationship standpoint, now God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't misunderstand it. Dan is saying there is many, many ways to get to heaven. I'm saying there's many, many ways to get to God because we're wired differently. There's different pathways. Okay? Let's talk about them this morning. That's what our subject is about. One of the ways is the intellectual. The intellectual. You find God in learning you open the book, you read, you experience, and you learn, and you develop a closer relationship with God. And, and that is a perfectly good way to develop a relationship with God, develop a more personal relationship with God. It's not the only way. Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, Love God with your heart, your soul, and your might. Heart, which is biblically not your blood pump, but your brain. Heart, mind, and strength. No, heart, soul, and strength. Jesus added in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, when he quoted Moses, he said, heart, soul, strength, and your mind. We had a lesson on it just a couple of weeks ago about the mind, meeting God in the mind. The intellectual portion of a man is a good place to find and develop a relationship with God. Paul was one of these mind guys. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a huge teacher, a wonderful rabbi. And when he got exposed to God, remember how passionate Paul was to persecute the Christians? Remember how passionate he became after God showed himself to him on the road to Damascus? How many letters he authored? How much hardship 
He went through, and yet he continued to still learn and learn and learn and preach and preach and preach. And when he gets a chance to talk before Festus, Festus looks at him and says, Paul, all this learning you've gone through has made you what? Tell me. What did it say? Made you mad. Not angry. Crazy. Paul, you've learned so much. You've, you've, and have you seen people like that? Book learners? And they're so, so confused about stuff, they don't know what to do. All they've done is absorb stuff. Facts and books and degrees and all kinds of... they got the huge intellect. They're smart people. But they don't know anything about loving people. Are loving God. But they're smart. Oh, are they smart. It's always difficult to be the smartest person in the room. Remember that kid that used to sit next to you in elementary school? When the teacher asked a question, Ms. Ronald! Ms. Ronald! Ms. Ronald! Ms. Ronald! She would ignore him, call on everybody else. Nobody else had the answer. Nobody else had done the work. Nobody else had gotten their homework. Nobody else had read the lesson. But Billy Downs, and Billy Downs' hand went straight up. And Billy, when she finally calls on Billy Downs, it was like, yes, Billy. And everybody in the sixth grade class would go, Billy Downs was the smartest guy in the sixth grade at James H. Bates Elementary. He knew it. Ms. Ruddle knew it. And every one of his classmates knew it. And we went out to play at recess. Nobody played with Billy Downs. Because every time he did this, he just lost a couple of votes for most popular in the class. When we go out to play, Billy got the message. It is hard to always, it is hard to be an intellectual, to always be right and not hurt somebody with it. And yet, no one was ever able or successful to challenge the intellect of Jesus. And Jesus hurt no one with his intellect. He was always right. He always knew the answer. If he'd been in the sixth grade class... He might have held his hand. He might not have waved it, but he knew the answer. And so if intellect is the way that you perceive God and you get closer to God, that's fine. But maybe there's some other pathways that you ought to think about looking at every now and again. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying maybe you need to look at one of the other pathways. As you learn in intellect... Learn to love also. The relationship pathway, where you, you take deep pride in your relational aspects. Remember, we talked about Matthew 18, verse 20. I think it is, Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, and there I am with them in the midst of them. And that's what started this entire thought process. 
How is it that we can find God with two or three, and yet we can't find Him with 88 sometimes in worship? There are people that find God in, in their relationships. They're little, little small groups. They're small group junkies. They never meet strangers. You know, there are many, many tiny small groups in elevators. You get in and, you know, five, six, seven people, and everybody stands there properly, you know. Nobody looks at the other. Keep your head down. Don't say anything. Please don't pass gas. And we just sit there. And then somebody comes in and, and then I get on the elevator. <laughs> I didn't used to be this way. But I can pick up a conversation with anybody in the elevator. And you know what? When you pop that balloon, everybody who's there like this, they just open up and they start talking and laughing. We were on the elevator on a boat, on a ship, I say. I don't know, thousands of times because dinner's on the third floor and we're on the sixth floor. So, I mean, you're always up and down the elevators, you know. And we're always waiting for elevators. And we're waiting for an elevator that's got enough space in it so that we can get scooters and rollators and that kind of stuff in it, you know. And some people would just come right up and just get right in front of you. Some people would open the doors and hold them for you. And all the time when we would get in there... Everybody would be quiet until, it wasn't always me, somebody said something. And then it was, are you having a good time? What have you seen? What have you done? Why are you, it's like, oh, did you have a good, I mean, it's like, we're buds all of a sudden. And we've been in this elevator together for 30 seconds. But because we're confined on this ship together, we can develop these relationships really, really quick. I think Peter was one of these relationship guys. He came to Jesus with a group, and he was always referred to in the inner circle. Peter, who? James, who? John. And he's almost never mentioned without being Peter, James, and John. Uh, the, the three amigos. The inner circle of Jesus. And yet, to, was given to him many, many times to, Jesus confronted him. Who do men say that I am, Peter? Peter had a reply. You're the Messiah. We know you're the Messiah. Nobody can do the things that you do and not be the Messiah. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter was one of those relational ship people. What happened when Peter got confronted with a bunch of Gentiles and they were eating together and then a bunch of other Jews came into town? What did Peter do? Oh, I can't eat with those Gentiles anymore. He isolated himself. And what happened to him? Apostle Paul goes to him I like to think he used his finger, but maybe he, maybe he was more gentle than that. Peter, let me tell you what you just did, what you just showed these people. You ate with them while there wasn't any Jews around. That was fine. But when the Jews show up, what? You become a bigot. 
and you won't eat with them. You withdrew yourself, so forth and so on. Paul says, I nailed him to his face. I nailed him to his face. I talked to him face to face. I confronted him. Peter was a relationship type guy. Now there's dangers in this. The difference between intellect and relationship, there's dangers in this because then if you have damage to a relationship, it, it hurts. If you've got a little small group in church that you get your spirituality from because y'all are all on the same page and you encourage each other, that's wonderful, but somebody does something in that little group, bam, it's like letting the air out of your balloon. It destroys the relationship. If you base your faith and you, you base your relationship with God with all your little relationships that you keep on and you have damage to those, it, it hurts you and it destroys your faith and your issues. Second danger is that you become so dependent on everybody else for your spirituality that if you get stagnated, if you get separated, what if you have to move and you go to a place where the church is not strong. And you're not able to make these relationships. The church there is 20 people and they're wired totally different than you. You don't have the ability to make those relationships. You know what's likely to happen to you? You'll wander away. You'll stagnate because you depend upon people and the relationships. To, so you've got to force yourself to develop some of your own spirituality. How about the serving pathway? We sense God's presence when we're helping others. Matthew 25, 40, we've used this scripture, I know, five times in the last five weeks. As often as you did it unto me, or did it unto these, you did it unto me. What? You, you fed me, you clothed me, you gave me thirsty, you visited me in prison when I was sick, so forth and so on. When you did it to people, you did it unto me. There's some folks that only find their spirituality in serving. This, this pathway makes it uncomfortable for people when they can't find a way to find a role for something to do within the church. Now, there's, there's many, many things to do within the church, no doubt about it. And there's many people that do those little bitty things every week, every, every day that don't get seen. You know, when we have a potluck, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Doesn't have a title, but it has work associated with it. That somebody within this church has to step up and take care of. It's nobody's job, but somebody does it. Somebody loads the drinks. Somebody moves the tables. Somebody carries out the food. Somebody puts it in the same order. Gets the silverware out. Does all of these kinds of things. And it just happens. And then all of a sudden, Denny brings in the chicken. And we're ready to go. And it happens. There's a thousand little jobs that you do and that people do. Dorcas in, in uh, chapter 9 of the book of Acts, verse 36, Dorcas was full of good works and acts of charity. There are a lot of people following this pathway toward God, attending church, but without a role of service 
without a job to do, who are getting stagnant because they're not being utilized to do anything. They just come in, they, they occupy a spot, and we don't give them anything to do. Now the dangers with this relationship pathway is that you only feel God's presence when you're out there serving. When you're doing something. And let's remember one thing first. First and foremost, we are a child of God. And we need to take care of that. Then will come the serving for God, doing things for God. Don't think that serving is the only thing that you have to do. You've got to take care of being a child of God first. Then there's also the, the, the issues of comparisons. Okay. That happens a lot. What am I doing? What are you doing? Well, I know I'm doing this, 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 and this. And I don't see you doing this or that or anything. And we think, oh, I'm, I'm serving. And you're not. It's difficult sometimes. Then there's those that criticize those that don't serve because they don't do it the right way. What's the right way to do something? It's my way, right? You're not doing it the way I would do it if I did it. I won't do it, but I'll criticize you for doing it because you don't do it the right way. Well, go figure that one out. That's destroyed more Christians who pick up and want to serve in the capacity of the church in a small capacity because someone says, you're not doing it the right way. We're not doing the only way we've ever done it. Okay, we can't do it that way because we've never done it that way. But I don't want to do it. And when you do it, all you get is criticism. And you, you've been there. You, you know that's true. Because once you become a doer, then you get criticized. You do. I want to give you a challenge this morning. If you're a serving pathway person, if this category fits you, try to find something to do without anybody knowing you're doing it and without telling anybody that you're doing it. Okay, now that, that's difficult. Find some way to serve the fellow Christians of this church or the people that this church should be serving. Serve them in some way. Do something to them, for them, with them, because of them. And don't tell anybody you're doing it. <coughs> and don't let anybody see you doing it. And then look what will happen. We're, we're about to start a new quarter. And I was hoping Ray Frederick would be here this morning so he could shake his head. The elders will have to shake their head in, in agreement. Every quarter, we beg for teachers, right? Every quarter. The Bible says there's a time when you ought to be teaching, yet do you have one that you still have to be taught. And I know why you don't want to step up and be a teacher. Because once you step up to be a teacher, you never get rid of it. 
You teach forever. And you wear yourself out. And you want a break. Well, what happens, Lee, when you become a teacher? <laughs> oh, yes. If you don't know that by now, you learn five times. If you're an intellectual, the thing you need to do is get your intellect up to the point to where you can be a teacher. Share your study and share your intellect with people. There is nothing that drives you harder. I've already shared with you. There's nothing that drives you and makes you study hard like coming up here and delivering a lesson. And Derek and Chuck and those of you who've done it know exactly what I'm talking about. Nothing does. So June starts a new quarter. If Ray were here, I think he would tell you, we don't have all the teachers in all the places. And I know that many of you have said, I have done my time in, I want to say Hades, but I don't mean that. That's a joke and it's not going to be funny for you all. But I know how painful it is to be a teacher all the time. And why you're reluctant to step up and be a teacher. But we need teachers. We're small. We need teachers. Finally, for this portion of the lesson, the worship pathway. The worship pathway. Many people find their relationship with God when they come to this sanctuary and they sit down for this hour and 10 or 15 minutes to worship God. David says in Psalms, I was glad when they said unto me, let's do what? Let's go to the house of the Lord. And it's wonderful that you feel that way. But, you know, sometimes we come here and our worship is just not as sharp as it ought to be. We're kind of dull. We got a lot of things going on the outside. We're tired. We put in a lot of work in the yard yesterday. We cut grass. We did the laundry. We washed the car. We did all of these things and we get up. Maybe a little later on Sunday morning, but yet we feel tired and we bring in this old tired body with a bucket with holes in it and we say, preacher, fill me up. Make me feel God's presence in worship. Now John read, I hope now maybe you're trying to, you're trying to figure out what this scripture he read this morning has to do with you know, we look out there in the world and we see all these people that are, are living evil lives and, and getting uh, prosperous and we wonder why and we see our struggles and we see our issues and so forth and so on. And David was feeling the same way. David wrote this psalm and he was feeling the same way. Yeah, he was disgusted. If you didn't pick that up in what John read for us this morning, he didn't like it. These arrogant people, they think, you know, they're, and they're blessed. And I don't know why, and I don't understand it. They're evil. <coughs> why would you treat them like that? And David said, I don't even know how to rationalize it. I can't figure it out. Then he says there in verse 17, And then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and I figured it out. That all those people out there 
don't pay attention to God, they're going to pay for it one day. They're going to pay for their ignorance one day. They're going to have to stand before their maker and answer some questions. And they're going to expect Jesus to say, well done now, good and faithful servant. And he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you to develop a relationship with me? Did you utilize it? Did you develop a relationship with me? And I, I know that worship is a lot of the place where we see and feel the presence of God. I see it. I don't know whether Buddy sees it or not, but I see it when I'm up here, up here leading the songs. Some of you are singing like this. Your eyes are closed. You know this song. You don't have to follow the notes or the, or the words. You know this song. And you're singing from where? Your heart. There are others that sing up and they, they look at the music and so forth and so on. And they participate and they sing and, and, and they, they sing out. There's some that are having their head down. And I'm not sure maybe they're even singing. If they are singing, they're singing what I call a solo. Solo, you can't be heard. I don't care if you don't have a singing voice, if you sound like fingernails on the chalkboard, you ought to sing out to your God in the presence of your God like you're singing in the shower or like you're singing in the car when you're by yourself. And don't tell me you don't sing in the car by yourself. And you sing out loud when you're by yourself if you listen to music. And you think you sing and sound wonderful when you're in the car by yourself. Sing along with Adele or whoever, Lady Gaga. Man, you sound good. At least you think you do. And I don't care if you can't sing a lick. God wants to feel your presence. He wants to hear you sing. And he wants... To develop a relationship with you and if worship is the way we do it then that that's fine the dangers are with this particular pathway that if you come to worship and you're expecting a big bang production an emotional lift a charge and just things are just <laughs> then you're going to lose that emotional charge. You're going to think, I don't have a relationship with God. And it's all because we didn't worship very, very good today. There's three more parts. I'm going to quit now. It's this afternoon. There are three more pathways. I know many of you got places to go and things to do this afternoon on Mother's Day. But I'm going to finish it this afternoon. The entire reason is we're different. We experience God in different ways. We're wired differently. There's no one perfect pathway to get to God and develop a relationship. There are many different types of pathways to get to God. Explore the one that best fits with you. Utilize it to its biggest extent. Be careful of the pitfalls and the dangers, but help it help you develop 
a more close, personal relationship with God. If you have a desire this morning, the time and the opportunities right now available to you to respond to this song and to this lesson, if you have a need, come right now while we stand and sing this song. <laughs>